Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast. I am your host for this episode, this run through of uh, looking back on older albums or an older album that, you know, was a favorite of mine. Uh, I am Danger and joining me is Monster as always. And uh, we uh, we're going to dive into Gym Class Heroes as Cruel as School Children. Now, Monster, what was your opinion of this album not necessarily the band because the band kind of had some some changes and whatnot through it and i think this was their big uh big outing that got them a bunch of attention and I, I don't feel like they actually got a lot of attention after this album you know i feel like they didn't get a lot of attention about halfway through this album being released but you know it was a it was a thing that happened so what was your opinion of this album and this band before listening to it and then we will get into your opinion of it as we move through all this so I was familiar with the hits and if anybody knows the band name Gym Class Heroes is probably from two songs in particular and both of those are on this record. I had heard those and I might have heard some other stuff here or there, but I actually saw them in concert in 2018 with The Offspring and 311. Unfortunately, it was the same night a really bad thunderstorm came through and I think they played like four songs. Like because the the storm hit when they were basically supposed to start. We had to wait for the storm to finish. And we were walking in the gate with the other, you know, 10,000 people while they were playing. And they basically did. I, I want to say it was like four songs. Um, so I, I didn't really get to see much or hear much. But what I did see in here was the two hits off of this record and in one or two other songs so they um, opened with their big ones <laughs> pretty much I, I think probably they probably had a 30 minute set that got cut down to about 18 to 20 minutes so they probably just played the three or four radio songs and then yeah moved on okay um now this album came out in 2006 right. so i i try really hard when we do these to try to put myself back into the the time frame when it came out because sometimes it's hard to listen to certain things today that right. came out 15, 20 years ago. Right. Um, but not to bury the lead and to just go ahead and get it out there. Mm -hmm. Nah, was not digging this record. Okay. That's, that's fine. So I feel like this album was kind of what uh, last episode Caroline's spine was for you, where it was just very steeped in nostalgia I think yeah. there's a lot of this for me, you know, 2006 was kind of a, an interesting time in my life. You know, I just had a lot of interesting stuff happening and I know I had said before in a conversation where I was supposed to see them and they were actually on a bill for uh, one of the warp tours that I went to. I went to like four or five years in a row of warp tours. They were on the bill of one and they didn't end up playing and I didn't know who they were at the time. So it wasn't a, a, a hiccup in my day by any means. Sure. And then I found this album and I remember I bought this album just because the artwork, like the cover looked interesting mm -hmm. and I, you know, you can't judge a book by a cover, but sometimes you can buy an album by its cover. But it, oh, uh, sure. yeah, I did that plenty of times back in the day, but this was one that in 2006, was was fun was a great album for me i i really really enjoyed it and mm -hmm. listening back to it now because i haven't listened to it in quite a while and mm -hmm. when you and i were compiling what albums we wanted to do for this this was one that i saw and i was like i want to do this one you know mm -hmm. that this was a this was a big album for me in 2006 right yeah so all right in kind of digging into this album and looking at stuff, because I already had my opinion and I try not to look at reviews for albums that you bring me to alter my opinion of it. But if it's an album that I already have an opinion of, I will look at reviews and such in doing what we're doing because sure. I've already got an opinion, you know, right. it's like, I'm just trying to kind of pull some, you know, if somebody has something interesting to say about it and all, you know, I want to read that and, and take it down. Yeah. But I saw three classifications of what this album is or what this band is. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And hipster hop, emo hop, and hip funk hop. <laughs> well, 
so that was something that I did kind of, I don't want to say struggle with, but the, the emo-ness of it all. Like, I expected this to be more fun. I expected this to be a little bit more bouncy and upbeat. But even on the songs that, like, I, I had a real struggle with some of the songs sound real poppy and upbeat. But if you listen to the lyrics, they're kind of downer or the music sounds kind of downy, even if he's the lyrics are a little more fun. So that was something I struggled with throughout pretty much from start to finish. So. In going back and listening to this album, I kind of uh, I, I felt like some of the songs, you know, I still got the same energy from it, whether or not that's a nostalgic energy and all. But I, I still feel like some of the album, the, some of the songs on this album are kind of quirky, upbeat and fun and kind of bouncy. Mm-hmm. Lyrically, I actually found this album an issue in a post Me Too to yeah. 2023. And the thing about it was in 2006, I was able to listen to it. And like, I mean, I can hit every word now and I'm on top of it. And it's like, as I was doing the words, I was like thinking about where I was in 2006. It was like this were I, this has never been who I am. Why did I listen to this and enjoy it? And, you know, I was going to say one other thing for me too, is that I kind of thought this was like, it was going to be more like a rock band with a straightforward rap vocalist. And it's really more of something like the roots where it's a rapper who has a live band. Right. Because one of the things I was noticing is there's not a lot of dynamics. What Whatever the vibe is at the start of the song is usually what carries throughout that song. That's fair. I, I, yeah, no, let me that's, explain. That's fair. I mean, like each song, I, yeah. I kind of feel the same way that whatever the beginning of the song is, the feel, maybe like a few seconds of, and actually the, uh, the a few seconds of the first track have a different feel than the rest of it. And but the feel that gets established early on is what carries through itself through. Now, I think each song has a different, you know, right. funk about it, if you will, which it, actually it, funk is a big influence in the, on the band. That, so. Yeah. And that was going to be my clarification. There right. was that I, I do think the, the record itself has dynamics mm-hmm. from, you yeah. know, track to track, but once the track gets started, that's going to be your vibe for that song. And right. that's, that's a common trope of rap and hip-hop you know you've you've got your beat you've got your through line and you just ride it for three four minutes um and i guess i was expecting a little bit more a little bit more rock to it than that now here's a reference that no one will get but me and you and maybe three other north carolinians but big urban sophisticated vibes yeah. Remember them? Oh, yeah. 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 They had a line in one of their songs. I can't remember what song it was. I mean, I haven't listened to them in forever, but uh, they said um, it was, I have a lazy eye so I can read both sides of the page at the same time. Always loved it. So, Spot on. Spot on. And that's one of the things about or that line being clever is, is my segue. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I do feel like Travis McCoy, the, the uh, vocalist, singer, the mm-hmm. the person you hear i i do feel like while again some of his lyrics are problematic some of them are very clever but the ones that are clever are in songs that i feel like are more honest and i feel like part of this album he has a lot of influence from that like um i don't know hip hop rap like you know objectifying women if you will like i don't know it, like that mm-hmm. seems to be yeah. the thing, but then it's like, there's this other part of him that is more of the upstate New York, which is where they're all from, you know, suburban, you know, like more honest opinion of things. Yeah. Like there's, there's moments where I hear Taleb Kweli and Nas and those kind mm-hmm. of guys, but then it gets, I don't know. Then it sort of devolves into just your standard rap lyrics right. at, at a lot of times. I found myself going between like cute and clever and cringe. Like yep. I felt like yep. 
That's, there, that's, there were, that's great. I was trying to avoid cringe in my notes because it's like I, I felt like you were going to get it. <laughs> yeah. And and for example, and I, you know, I don't know if this is one we really need to go track by track on, but I will say there's three little interludes in this record uh, known as the sloppy love jingles, part yep. one, two and three. And uh, I don't know what your opinion is on those, but I hate them. They were the cringiest, like, I, I get it. Like, I know what he was going for. And in 2006, maybe I could have rolled with it a little better. But in this day and age, I was just, oh, they, they make my skin crawl. So I was going to talk about the sloppy love jingles as one one thing. So yeah. I'll, I'll get into it more here in a bit. But since we're we're jumping more into their tracks, it's hard to talk about the album without talking about the individual tracks. I know, tracks. So, yeah. yeah. You know, and I don't want to go track by track, but there are a few tracks I do want to hit on. Sure. Um, all right. So I do think it's interesting, you know, they are gym class heroes, which it's, uh, you know, a bunch of guys or four guys that met in gym class, you know, that's basically where it comes from. And the album, I don't know if you saw the track listing on the album, but the way it's actually listed on the album itself, it's like first period, second period, third period. Like oh, that's it's, cool. Yeah, okay. it's, it's a neat little thing, but it yeah. also kind of made it a little difficult in doing this because it's like, wait, was that fourth? I don't know. So I just kind of got rid of the periods at a certain point in my notes. Sure. But first period, the Queen and I. I love it how she breathes booze in the morning. And it's so sexy how she can't remember last night. I made the fatal mistake of letting her drink again. But who the hell am I to tell her how I thought it was a very interesting track to start the song, to start an album with. And hear me out. Because okay, no. it because it the song it's a hip hop song that starts with like like taps and acoustic guitar and then goes right into the beat. Like I think you get I think it's uh eight seconds of it. I was looking at so your face so I, tells me you've got something to say. Well, okay, so I feel like they probably picked this song sonically because it's an upbeat song. The the beat and the little Spanish guitar lick have a very driving uh, sound. Yep. And then the lyrics are about an alcoholic girlfriend, and it's real sour. And I, that's and that. So right out the gate, I'm going, okay, this is an upbeat, fun song about some really depressing shit. And I think that's that sets you up for where where you're going for some of this. Well, it's kind of like we've talked about in the past that. Uh, some of songs that sound super happy are not happy songs by any means. And the one that I go back to is No Rain by Blind Melon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and so then you go to the next song, Shoot Down the Stars. 81 was the year she hit the fan in the major way. A sad day for aspiring artists. Almost 20 years after the fact, I'm still on my hustle. Digging graves for aspiring artists. Push it and it's like the opposite. The, the music is almost like a less heavy Linkin Park and sort of has a, a downer kind of chord progression. But then the lyrics are a little bit more like about being cool and being the next big thing and all this stuff. So it's sort of like... You can't just have an upbeat, fun song. It's got to be like, you know. Now, I will say as the tracks go on, I do have some that I really did enjoy. But just the first couple songs, I was already, hmm, I was having trouble. So it, uh, it okay, so I, I know what you mean by the, the juxtaposition of those two things and the lyrics to the music themselves. It's almost like if you were to swap the lyrics, like keep the rhythm for the words, if you can, I, I haven't tried to, to match it, but I, I think it may have been able to work at all. But did you ever see the video for that first song? It's like they're in a like medieval emo court, like King of no, Queen. Like it, it's kind of an odd thing, but I do enjoy that first track. But I I do think that the lyrics are a downer. But that yeah. but I do think the uh, the Spanish guitar that you were talking about. I, I do think it's a fun. I think the instrumentation on that first track is a lot of fun. The second one, yeah. you're right. The chord progression's more down, but I like it as well. But they, I kind of feel like they were fine starters to the album. But then as the album goes on, it does pick up. Now that second song was one that. You know, it was like, okay, I like it enough, but I don't feel like it needs to fit into into this conversation. Didn't really do any notes on it. Just, I, it's a song and, that I like. Yeah. 
I wrote less heavy Lincoln Park. That's all I wrote. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's good. It's not great. I can listen to it. It makes a really good background track. Let's put it that way. It feels put it this way. This is why I was scared. It feels like filler and it's the second track. And that's what started to make me nervous. All right, that's fair. Um, now, with all that being said, track three, new friend request. I remember when I first laid eyes on you. My man Tom introduced us, but I was too shy to say hi. When I finally love that enough nerve to Why? Little Why do you love it? Because I love the MySpace stuff. Like, okay. I, it's, again, same with some of the other songs. Some of the lyrics are clever. Some of them are a little eh. But overall, the vibe of the music, the MySpace references, I had a lot of fun. Yeah. That, that was like, this is more of what I was expecting. So this song, the chorus to it, it, it's an earworm. I mean, it gets stuck in your head like a line will. I think the subject overall is it, it's dated. And when a band puts a song on an album, an entire track on an album that dates itself, it's it's a hard thing for me because it's like when like going back and listening to it now, it's like MySpace. Okay. All yeah. right. Put myself in 2006 headspace. MySpace is fun. It's current. You know, the uh, the lyrical content of it, like the lines, I think, are clever and fun. But I also think they're super lame at some of the things he says. But it's also that lameness makes it fun. Like he says, uh, you said you weren't impressed by lame dudes with no game. They're all the same trying to get your instant message and name. So he dates itself within itself. <laughs> yes. you know? And then he said, my man Tom introduced us. But I was too shy to say hi. But and he also said, I never see my face in your top eight. Now, yeah. now that, you know, man, Tom introduces, that is definitely a like a specific reference within this thing, within this MySpace yeah. thing, because everybody's first friend was Tom. Everybody's first yes. friend. Which I actually put Tom as my Facebook profile picture at one point. I just wanted to see if I could anger the Facebook gods. But, you know, maybe get an angry email from Zuckerberg. <laughs> but, yeah, so... It, so I feel like at our age, this works. If you're about 10 years younger than us, this is not going to work. Yeah, it, it it does not work for people that missed the MySpace and got on with Facebook and stuff. Right. You know, that was their first. I mean, hell, you know, even I think people that were early to, you know, Friendster, <laughs> this song would have right. been almost too late for them. So it's fun in its lameness. Right. And it's only fun. I'm going to agree with you. It's only fun for people like us. But I want to talk about the fact that the instrumentation, the musicianship behind this album, behind this song, actually this album overall, I'm going to just say it. The, uh, this album, like these guys really knew how to put together a song and a beat, like the one place that they actually used a sample. And I didn't realize that this was the one place they used a sample. They actually didn't use the sample. The sample, the approval for the sample was approved too late to record it for the song. So they actually just had a vocalist um, do the song. So uh, they actually have no samples in your own this. All of the music you hear is actually done. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you picked up on it, but there is a great horn section in this song, like very much in the background, but it really fills that space that we talked about before. The like keyboards and horns like just really fills a space. And it really does that on this, this song. Especially, I love the the instrumentation of this album as a whole, but this song, I think it's really, really well done. So, so when you were saying that they don't sample anything, okay, do you mean they don't literally lift the recording? Um, yes, like the the original recordings. Okay, because the one thing that I did find really interesting about this album is there are two singles that became very popular off this album Mm -hmm. both of them are i I was calling them a sample because i didn't know what else to call them but but they basically sample two previously popular songs from the 70s and 80s one of them is close off Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and both have Patrick Stump from Fall Out Boy singing on. Wrong. They don't have both of them. And I'll explain. So Okay. Alright. So Patrick Stump from Fall Out Boy for close off. Uh it is um it's not a sample of it's he sings the part The lyrics are different. Yeah, the ly- well, lyrics are a little bit different, but he sings it's Jermaine Stewart's nineteen eighty six, we don't have to take our clothes off. And yeah. so it's not a sample, he actually sings it and they got approval to to do that since it is uh like it's a sample of the song, but it's not the song. So they still had to get approval on it. So again, and not a sample. Because and because of the the little tweak of the lyrics, I would almost imagine the the kind of like the parody law because you know like like weird al for example does not technically have to get permission but he always does because the original is we don't have to take our clothes off to have a good time yeah and in this one it's we have to take our clothes off i don't know if the parody law of it falls in there yeah yeah but not sure if that actually applies to it but Again, not a sample, but a sampling of almost like the style, like of of that specific thing. I don't know. I do know they had to get approval for it. But sure, but again, not a sample. It's actually somebody singing it, which to me makes me go, "That's kind of cool. I like that." Like you can immediately tell that it's Patrick Stump because if you know his voice, you you know it. You know. Now, so. with that being said, too, I didn't really pick up on this the first time I heard this song back in the day. I probably really liked it. I don't really remember, but I remember like when it came to this track, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this song. Does, does Patrick Stump's voice sound good to you? Like, does he sound like he's nailing it or does it sound like he was kind of rushing through it and just the best, like, that's good enough? Okay, so here's my opinion on Patrick Stump overall. When I was younger, he was great. Now, at this age, at uh, 37, he's very average at best. So He's too pitchy, in my opinion. He's yes, kind of all over the pitchy, map. Yeah. That's the word. Because when Cupid's Chokehold comes up later, I thought his voice on the hook was fine. But in this one, he sounds like, I don't know, every subsequent listen, every time he sings that, like i cringe like it's like i don't know i don't know why it gets me and then travis right that's his travis mccoy yeah his verses don't do anything to help you with that cringing thing because like you said this is very straightforward rap i'm the coolest dude in the room you know you love me you know you want to bang me and it i not like i remember this being a huge hit and now i'm like Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, this is this is definitely one of those the the things I was referencing. I was talking about this album does not play well in a post Me Too twenty twenty three world. No, it's a. It, this song's very obviously about macking on girls, and I mean, if yeah. they're gonna write a song, um, that dates the album, I'm gonna use a word that dates my my. Or is it macking? macking? Yes, I, I was giggling when I wrote that in my notes earlier, but, uh, so <laughs> this is one where I really feel like he was really trying to push the um the hipster hop where you can really feel a lot of influence from like ludicrous and all in him but then you know he's got one of the biggest emo you know vocalists of all time singing you know a guest spot on this album and what's really interesting is in 2006 fallout boy was huge in the like emo underground pop punk scene and now fallout boy is just huge in general but i think in 2006 by getting patrick stump to sing on your record you almost gave it more underground cred right as opposed to uh mainstream cred well patrick stump was a producer on this album i felt like it was him going hey I'm here. I'm in the studio with you guys. Let me just sit in on this one. You know, mm-hmm. I think this is going. That's kind of my overall feeling on it. Just it was kind of like a uh, uh, they decided to pull him in because he was a producer on it. They were signed to uh, Pete Wentz's record label, and you know, so it's kind of all Fallout Boy friendly, which I yeah. think is why they got onto uh, Warp Tour and all that. that makes sense. 
yeah, it, it all makes sense once you kind of start seeing the the connection of things. But this is not my my favorite track on this album. You know, yeah, I'm actually going to go with kind of something I've said in the past about uh, other albums and other bands. I don't think there's any one single song on this album that's my favorite. I like this album as just kind of an album that exists in time. That it, yeah. it's a capsule for a time period in my life. So I will say two two real well. I'm gonna start with two, but then I'm gonna lead into a third one here. Two songs that really did stand out to me as far as instrumentation wise and stuff. I really liked "Viva La White Girl." And on my own time. I felt like both of those sonically tried something a little different than just the standard emo hip hop vibe of some of the other songs. I do wish on my own time there's a little filter on the vocals mm -hmm. that is really neat, but I don't think it needed to be on the verses and the choruses and the bridge. Like, pick one. Since you talk about those, I do want to talk about those with sloppy love jingle. Bart said no. Yeah, I heard your wise ass. Give me a minute. I'm trying to get this round over here. What do you think? I'm just working for you here. Actually, will you will you send a drink to the lady at the end of the bar? Yeah, that one right there. Actually, there as a yeah. whole. Yeah. So, okay. Have to. No, we have to. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so, album came out in 2006. At this point in time, I was uh, drinking underage in bars. I had just barely made the age. I mean, it was like I was kind of all in that time. I was, this was very much so a living my, you know, living my best life, partying it up, having fun. And so, at the time, the sloppy love jingles actually kind of like hit like a certain spot where it's like, that's how I feel about yeah. things. Yeah. That's, that's what we're doing. I've always found certain lines in those uh, clever. I kind of hear them all as one piece because they are kind of interludes throughout the entire album, which is where I feel like the uh, Viva the white girl that is so different from everything else. I don't feel like those tracks are needed on this, if you're going to have, and actually there is one listed later that's actually an interlude. I don't feel like that's needed on this because you already have three of them, you know, and right. one of them actually closes the album, which I feel like was a really strange choice. I definitely would have picked a different song to close the album. And these, the sloppy love jingles feel like a deaf poetry jam to me. I'm a bad actress with three lighters. I acquired the previous night and there I was do or die. She was approximately five feet away from my frame. So I decided to take it a stride, swallow my pride, tell her my name, like, hello, miss. Hey, how's my name? I don't know Travis. if you ever saw it. Yeah, it's like, it's a, it's a spoken word poem thing that doesn't rhyme. But then he says things that are within that, that are very strange. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously the whole thing is about meeting a girl in a bar. Um, right. You know, and I do appreciate the lines, like, that night, the Jägermeister had my sleeves rolled up, or I wear my heart on my sleeve, but then I... I tend to wear my heart on my sleeve, but that night, the Jägermeister had my sleeves rolled up. Yeah. It's like, okay, that makes sense. That's a that's a little thing that I get it. Like, alcohol gives you courage to go talk to a girl. Uh, that's when she made an offer that I couldn't refuse, and chills went up my legs like Samoan tattoos. It's like, yeah, that, the Samoan tattoos, that's a that's an odd little thing to stick in there, and I don't feel like that should work, and I, I don't feel like we should have that. Time and time again, I think he thinks he's more clever than he really is. Agreed. And a couple of times, and, and I forgive me that I don't have an exact point to reference, but there's several moments on this album where he's got this rhythm going, and then he'll just stop and hit you with a word that doesn't rhyme with the rest of this, like the bars. And I feel like he's doing that on purpose just to show you, like, how off the cuff he is. And it's like, if it serves the song, do it again. No one will know this reference, but urban sophisticates, there were plenty of lines where it was like, 
A B A B A C B A. Like they would just do stuff, and it just worked because it was a little chiller. The delivery on a lot of that stuff was not as fast and like upbeat as the delivery is here. And I think it really we we've talked about this before. If something hits you at the right time in your life, it it sticks with you differently than to someone who's never heard it before. So I can I. And as we do this show, there will be plenty of those things for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but just hearing it in 2023 for the first time, no, those sloppy love jingles felt really icky. Now, yeah. speaking of icky, <sighs> scandalous scholastics. To the bathroom, and when all the students was gone, we'd even do it in the staff room from F's to A's in less than three days. Now the underachievers, the one with the best grades, have the third floor shaking without breaking a sweat. Okay, so let's do it. That was actually one that I was going to avoid in this for this purpose. Okay, well, let me okay. just say one thing I hate to admit. How much I like this song. Yes. Because I, I am no. Yes. Right there with you. Okay. Because I understand. Put it, okay. Put it this way. The, the content of the story is about a high school kid banging his teacher, mm-hmm. which is clearly something that we're not supposed to talk about no. um, and not supposed to participate in. But what I will say is let's replace the actual content. Let's replace high school kid banging his teacher let's replace it with high school kid making the basketball team or whatever you want it to be the fact that this is a through line story from start to finish and has a little bit of a twist punchline at the very end right needless to say i passed with flying colors but my teacher was my best friend's mother i love that and i wish there was more of that and I, he's clearly shown he likes to tell a story. Yeah. Like, like, like we said, sloppy love jingle. If you put those three verses together, that's almost the exact same thing. You could have put those lyrics with an actual song and, and made it something like that. And it would fall into this kind of category. As is, I understand that it's problematic, but I like the music. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's one of the hardest parts about it. And, and I'm actually going to kind of go back on something that you were talking about before about how I, I do agree with that he he does come off as he thinks he's more clever than he is, but he I do think that he is good at he does have clever timing within words. And he does. you know, like um I saw an interview with Eminem where he was talking about how people say nothing rhymes with orange, and he's like, it does if you change the rhythm of the word orange or like the seven inch door hinge or orange door hinge. And it was like, it just, I feel like he does stuff like that where he takes words and kind of like changes like the pronunciation a little bit and all. And so I do feel like he was able to do some of that in, um, in, in that song, but to end the song on, uh, my teacher was my best friend's mother. Yeah. There is that twist on it. Yeah, but then like as I'm like hitting the words, listening to it in my car or whatever, uh, like that ending part of the song, I'm like, ah, yeah, I don't feel good about saying that, but I said it, and you know, it's it, it's a little weird about any of the lyrics of that song. <laughs> no, but there is a line in that song, a clever line in it, where he said, um, uh. Oh hell, I'm losing the whole thing again. I didn't, I didn't put it in because I was sure. going to avoid it for this reason. But it's a, uh, she pulled down my pants, and the way she praised my balls was oh, vicious, my- and that's what she calls. Or that's why, or that's what she calls sacrilegious. Yeah. Yes, I love it. I do. I, I do. I don't want to, but I do. <laughs> and and here's the thing: if this would have came out on a Eminem record for example you wouldn't bat an eye but because of the kind of vibe that these guys have established this doesn't play well anymore at the time and again at at our life uh, the junctures in our life 2006 we would have been you know 20 21 somewhere in that ballpark 
this would have felt kind of relevant. You know, we are just coming out of high school and college and, you know, not saying we've participated in anything of this nature. <laughs> no, no, but I don't know a single guy who hasn't gone through school and had at least one teacher. They were like, right. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And it's usually a teacher about the time that you're catching feelings about things <laughs> that you didn't have before. <laughs> right. That so, you're discovering so, things about yourself. So when I say it's relatable, that's what I mean. I yeah. don't mean in the actual act of what the lyrics are, but I could see me in 2006 just thinking this was as hilarious and clever as can be and wanting to show all my friends. Yeah. Um, no, I, in 2023, I'm embarrassed that Spotify has the record of me listening to it about 12 times. So <laughs> it, just, it hey, is what it is. Hey man, Spotify has that of me and I own this album. So you know, there you go. I still have it. I, I can go and pull it for you right now. So after that, I think it's cool that they go into on my own time, which is a very chill kind of laid back groove. Like I said, a minute ago, I, this is one of my favorites. And then it's real interesting that Cupid's chokehold is this late in the record because okay. I don't want to get to Cupid's chokehold just yet, but I do okay. want to amend, amend something that I did say before, but on my own time and uh, where was it? Viva La White Girl. Yeah. Those two songs are, I, I try to classify them and this is one of the places where I was looking online to try to see if I could find the right word for it. And then yeah. what I found them classified as is an emo slow jam. And I, and I get that. And emo slow jams don't happen often, you know, um, no, in the it, early days of emo. Why, yes. Now no. I was going to say, I think that's why those two stood out to me so much. And I liked them so much. Yeah. Matter of fact, I even heard a little bit of that three eleven vibe on, on my own time. There's a chord progression that kind of goes from the verse to the choruses that's real jazzy and real smooth. And I like his vocal delivery. I like the the singing, the straightforward singing. Like I said, the filter to me on his voice could have been, they could have played with that a little bit more yeah. and not just left it straight the whole time. But I like those two a lot. And I, I think Emo Slow Jam is a good good way to put it. Yeah. So, okay. I do want to go back and amend something I was saying before. So I do have this in my notes and I was wrong in my, my thought process. So yes, Patrick Stump is later on, uh, you know, in two different places. It's seven weeks where there's a different person. There's William Beckett from the Academy is who he went on. Uh, Travis McCoy went on to form Cobra Starship, put out one album of uh, yeah. Snakes on a Plane soundtrack, which actually a couple of this, uh, two of these songs from this album made it onto the Cobra. Um, sorry, the Snakes on a Plane soundtrack overall. So. Okay, so I Seven Weeks is not a song that I particularly loved. My life is yellow lines, concrete in parliament butts, exhaust fumes and rest stops, we grind half of the bus. Load in sound check, play show, load out, let's go next city. Oh great. But since you brought him up, I will say I did not know who William Beckett was. I do know who the Academy is. Um the Academy is is. And yeah, um it's a strange thing, yeah. But you know when he I I did like when he started to sing the hook though because you know who he reminded me of? Who? Butch Walker from the Marvelous Three. Hmm. I, when when he gets the whole line out, it starts to lose it. But the very first like couple of syllables, I was like, "Is that?" I had to like immediately stop what I was doing and check because I, hey, maybe we'll do a Marvelous Three record one day. Maybe um, underrated. But anyway, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I love this song. This is one of my favorites on this this album. And it's one of those that's only going to only people, only certain people are going to relate to it. As we've talked about when bands put songs on albums about being a band, it really, I feel like alienates a certain portion of the crowd, unless you're able to just kind of, you know, suspend disbelief like you would for a sci-fi film and just listen to it. But, you know, the like load in sound check play show load out let's go next city oh great day off hangovers hangups dialbacks run in makeup apologies and promises that nobody acknowledges the boys and bands got it so damn bad but we'll love it like the last cigarette we'll ever have and that's the thing about it is that when you're you know on the road to doing you know life on the road 
it gets hard. It's taxing, but you love it. And so you keep doing it. And I feel like this song actually does a great job of relaying the reality of being on the road. Like, you know, talks about it's not glamorous. Yeah, no, it, it's not glamorous, but he says it with a, but he, 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 you know, portrays the lyrics with a fondness, you know, he doesn't say it in a way of like regretting or hating what he's doing. He says it as like, this is not the easiest life, but we love it. So, but within this, he also dates it because he references Nick Cannon while and out. <laughs> well, and for me, this is another one of those where the dichotomy does, it, it doesn't mesh. It clashes because really? I agree with you. I, I think he is saying this from a point of fondness that, hey, this is hard, but this is the life we chose. It's not for everybody. Being a, a guy who has traveled a lot to play music, I can relate to it. Like you said, not everybody can. But then the music makes it sound like the saddest thing in the world. Like, I, I, I'm not saying the music's bad, but to me, they don't click. Like, the, the lyrics are basically saying, yes, this is hard, but we love it and this is what we do. And the music doesn't need to sound like a party, but it sounds like dour. And I, I don't know that that works, at least not for me. I hate to hear it doesn't work for you because I I thought this song, th this is a, a standout on this album for me. I oh, love this song. Sure. I feel like it does. I feel like it does work. I feel like the, the rhythm is really good for it. Yeah, this is one. Lyrically, that, I do like it. Lyrically, uh, I like it a lot. Lyrically, it's great. It does have problem lyrics within it. <laughs> uh, where they just, all do. Oh, yeah, they, they all, all do. Your girl was texting you about getting all cuddly because you painted a pretty picture, but the frame is so ugly. I I mean, you're talking about getting with your, your boy's girl. Yeah. So, and then uh, he says, uh, and it always jumps out to me every time I hear it. But then I also love it because he says, a lot of you don't realize. And it's in like the uh, with, like the spoken word part at the end where he's kind of in the background. Yeah. He says, uh. A lot of you don't realize there's a whole subculture of boys out there driving around in vans looking for your daughters and your lottery tickets. Yeah. <laughs> and I always thought the adding of and your lottery tickets, it was, uh, was fun. So one more song before we talk about Cupid's Chokehold, the one that's so late in the game. Biter's Block. Now, Spider's Lock, I felt like, was, like, the hardest song, like, the hardest rap song in the album. And I always thought this was, was funny because it's an album that's so suburban emo-friendly with this, like, heavier rock, rap song on it. And it, I felt like this was them putting this on here as, like, we're going to talk about this you know, this part of music where people are fake and not doing what they're, you know, supposed to do or not do what we think they should do. And this song is going to be okay for white suburban kids to feel hard about. <laughs> Let me just read to you what I wrote. Go on. This is, this is, this is great. I wrote, it's fine. Another middle of the road indie rap song. The lyrics sound biting and combative. But the music is so uninteresting that it doesn't come across as threatening as I think they are shooting for. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with you on that. It's I can see in the right mindset it gets you get you hyped. Yeah. But but for me, I was just like I I like you said, I know what they're trying to do, mm -hmm. but it don't quite land. Oh, in two thousand six I was like, Hell yeah, we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like, we did it. It's done. <laughs> We're not doing that thing anymore. I oh. gotta get groceries for the kids and <laughs> make some hamburger helper time. tonight. We don't have time to fight off the haters. I yeah. gotta make dinner. It's like I don't have time to care about if somebody's not doing the cool thing and being a poser poser stupid and <laughs> Look, I will deal with homeboy biting my style tomorrow. I gotta go to work. Yeah. It's 10.30. I got to get some sleep. <laughs> so, all right. Let's jump into Keep It Chokehold. You want to talk about Keep It Chokehold a lot? And, all right, so 
they couldn't get, and I, I said this a little bit earlier, they couldn't get the sample from the Super Tramp song early enough. And I actually learned this from listening to a uh, an interview with Travis McCoy. They were actually kind of like, they had the song kind of put together and what they wanted to do with it. And he said like that at the beginning of it uh-huh. was where they were having trouble kind of figuring out what they wanted to do to open the track. And there's a certain part in the song that, that does that, but they realized that even the, um, where he says like, you know, take a look at my girlfriend. He was saying like the original, like what he wanted to do with it was say like, don't you look at my girlfriend. And he was like, you know, Say it from the standpoint of like a guy like, hey, don't look at my girlfriend. I'm going to mess you up. And now, like he said, it kind of turned real quick to look at my girlfriend. If you look at her too long, I'm going to mess you up. And it's like, no, nah, that doesn't work for me. But right. um, yeah, so even the beginning, they speed that up and it just to make it work with the rhythm. And he was saying that even messing around with the sample in writing the song, they were speeding it up a little bit to get it to work. I don't feel like this song really represents the song or represents the band really well because it's so different from anything else on the album. And, and he said that this was actually the one song that he went and studied like pop song structure. And, and you can really hear that. And while the song is actually one of the longer songs on the album, it's, it's like a little over four minutes. It moves really quick. It feels really quick. One of their biggest songs prominently uses another band's, a a sample, quote unquote sample from another band and has Patrick Stump on it. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like this really fits the rest of the band, the rest of the album. I think it's a great track off of the band. I think it's actually a standout track on the album because it's just a good song, but I don't feel like this is the band. I don't, I don't, know what to make of it it's just an interesting thing i do find it funny that the two biggest hits these guys ever had came off of this record the hooks are sang by patrick stump and sampled borrowed somewhat covered two other famous hooks and i i don't want to say that you know gym class heroes aren't talented and don't write very clever solid songs on their own but it's funny that it took that combination twice to get them, you know, on the radio. Right. Um, what I will say is... Were they on the radio? I don't remember them on the radio. I don't... Yes. These two songs, I, I because I wouldn't have heard them. I, none of my friends were listening to this um, at this stage. We were either listening to the full-blown emo stuff or the full-blown rap rock new metal stuff. So I actually, um, and I just had this moment where you're talking about none of, none of my friends were listening to it. I remember actually buying this album. I was living in an apartment with a buddy of mine who I went and bought, like we went to, um, I can't remember this, BBCDs. BBs. Yep. Oh, I love that place. Went there and I grabbed this and he got a Flyleaf album and a 30 Seconds to Mars album. And we listened to all of them. But it was like, he yeah. just, he grabbed those two. I grabbed this one. So yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Moment in time, flash memory. Okay. We're sure. good. Now, the one thing I was going to push back a little bit on you as far as this not sounding like the rest of the album, to me, it does the exact same thing. A couple of these other songs do where the lyrics are just funny and upbeat and talking about she makes me pancakes and Alka-Seltzer when my tummy aches. And then especially the bridge is like, if you listen to the notes and the chord progressions, it's like depressing sounding. Like if you listen to just the bridge of the song with no lyrics, you would assume it's about some kind of breakup or some kind of like, and a matter of fact, I think the first couple of times I was re-listening to this, I was waiting for that to be like the third act of the song Hmm. where they break up. But no, he's still complimenting about how she's the greatest thing in the whole world over the saddest sounding guitar lick. (laughs) And the thing about it is I got this, the, the same sort of thing that it's the breakup deal within it. And in the interview, I learned 
this actually is the breakup. And the thing is, is that it was just he like they just didn't work together. And okay, yeah, yeah. it's so so it is it is the breakup, but it's you know he's still in the interview. You know, uh, I think he said like fifteen years later, or whatever. He still talks very positive about her, and he says like she's one of the only uh, people he's ever been with that got his music, got his band. You know, cool. Just they just didn't work together as a relationship. They worked together as friends, but you know, I I. Do agree with you the uh, the funny line about you know she makes me pancakes al- gets me alcohol through my tummy aches. Yeah, I again I'm gonna go back to I do think he does have clever moments within his words. I think that when he tries to be clever is when he offends the Me Too movement, <laughs> <laughs> and when he's not trying to be clever is when he comes with the best stuff. You know, so yeah, yeah. and I agree, and I think this. To me, this makes sense as a hit song. Like, I understand why this was popular yeah. and why people remember this song. Like I said, the music and the lyrics combined feel a little disjointed to me. But overall, I get it. And Patrick Stump's voice on this one, I think, is much more on key, much more on pitch than uh, yep. close. Agreed. Agreed with you. So this being... So late in the album. I mean, after this, it was just one more. It was just one more sloppy love jingle, and that was it. Ugh. So, their biggest hit being like a closing track, in my opinion, the sloppy love jingle shouldn't have been at the end. Mm-hmm. On my own time and Viva the White Girls, I don't think it should even be on this album. I feel like it should be a different thing altogether because I do feel like they were very different for this album. I don't think they fit this. You know, maybe. Uh, a special release or a hidden track on CDs. I loved when bands did hidden tracks. Those were so oh, yeah. fun to me. You know, uh, 10 minutes of silence and then suddenly there's music. Um, okay. Can I tell you one, not to get super off topic here? Yeah, sure. This, this blew my mind. I didn't know this until like just a couple years ago. So 311 is my favorite band in the whole wide world. And their album Transistor is one of their most popular releases. Hidden track. Hidden track at the beginning beginning of the album so i've often seen like looking at stuff it'll say transistor intro like on different things when you put the album on if you hit rewind Mm -hmm. on the first song it'll go like negative minute or so and there's a little instrumental thing that leads into the record yep like you don't do that anymore with streaming like no. none of that can exist anymore. There's no secret. You, when you, when you're listening to an album on Spotify and you see track 13 is 25 minutes long, you know, something's up. Like yeah. <laughs> I, there's a, there was a band. I can't remember who it was. No, I do actually. Cody Cambria. They had a secret track on one of their albums. I pulled up on Spotify to listen to it. And it was like, I don't know, like 10 or 15, like four second tracks. <laughs> Or just oh, there. Yeah. oh, yes. Oh, um, so another one, Corn, follow the leader. Yeah. So when I remember when I first bought that CD, I thought I it was broken. I thought I had to take it back because if you look on the back of the album, it says it starts on track 13. Right. Well, technically it does because the first 12 are about four seconds long of nothing. Right. And I was like, what the shit is this? Like, I was so upset and now I get it. but. You, you don't have that kind of fun anymore with, with streaming. <laughs> no, no. So want to round out Cupid's Chokehold with the fact that the biggest hit off of the album was the closer for the album, because I don't feel like Sloppy Love Jingle was a closer. Sure. To me, it's kind of like when a band does a show and they either close their show with their big song or... They don't play it, but then they come back out for the encore that everybody knows they're going to come back out for, and they play their big song. That's what it felt like to me. And I wouldn't have got that. Actually, I didn't get that in 2006. I got that in 2023 upon reflection of it. And, you know, cool. Good for them. You know, save their big one to the last and, you know, and put it in and good stuff. You know, it's, it was fun. It's a fun track, but I don't think it represents the band very well. Yeah, I get that. I, I do agree that um, the 
track order is kind of wacky on this album. This is another one of those that I think that had the track listing gone in a little different variety, I might have enjoyed it more. But it was, I, I had a hard time getting into it. And then I would get into it for a little bit and then kind of fall flat for a few songs in a row. And I think that's just a personal preference. The ones that I liked seemed to be like the track three, four, five range and then tracks like 12, 13, 14 range. So it was kind of like I had these gaps where I was like not really feeling it. But, but I definitely, I, I can imagine getting this at time of release and it feeling fresh and clever for sure. Yeah. So I've listened to this in the past on headphones. I've listened to it. I listened to it in preparing for this uh, with headphones. I don't feel like listening to it through headphones really added anything. I don't think there was nuances of things. I feel like it was just a straightforward album. Um, I feel like this was an album that allowed uh, emo kids to listen to a hip hop album and it be accepted and be okay. It, you know, I feel like every genre has that one that one outing that's just a little bit different than everything else that fits in there. But at the same time, this album, this band, they incorporate, you know, uh, hip hop, funk, yeah, all sorts of genres into their sound, which I think actually made a good sound. So closing statement. Do you want to go first, actually? Sure, sure. I'll go first. All right. So. For me, this is the perfect background music for a college party. Most of the songs don't have a lot of dynamics. They might change slightly, you know, between the verse and the chorus, but usually whatever the vibe at the top of the song is, is the vibe that rides throughout. I find the lyrics to kind of swing between cute and cringe. I think he's clever, but I think there's certain parts that did not age well. His lyrics and delivery work for me a lot on songs like New Friend Request, Scandalous Scholastics, and Cupid's Chokehold. But the sloppy love jingles, I, I would have taken all of those off. I don't like that at all. The whole album teeters between rap with a live band versus a band with a rapper's lead vocalist. I wanted to like this album more than I did, but it just never really clicked for me. I thought it would be a little bit more fun, but it's a little more emo than I had expected. It did make me want to listen to some of their other albums because I feel like there's a version of this that I would like more. As an album, a whole though from start to finish, I don't ever see in myself really revisiting this one. One to ten, probably about a three. Okay. Using instruments instead of loop samples or beats and led by the at times clever lyrics and clever tongue of Travis McCoy. Gym class heroes are good, but in a capsule in time. From the first track of this album, The Queen and I, the gym class or the heroes, I couldn't figure out how to word that. Anyway, um, so they have a confidence, a sense of melody, and an understanding of rhythm, uh, under, an understanding of rhythm and music comprehension to keep things moving and make an impact. Being a hip hop group with enough emo hipster instincts, live in a world of the Warp Tour, making it appropriate. Uh, that William Beckett from the Academy is, and Fallout Boys, Patrick Stump, uh, to make an appearance. Or was that backwards? Did they get Patrick Stump to appear, which got them onto Warp Tour? It's kind of a what came first, chicken or the egg. Sure. But while this combination of influences largely works to Gym Class Heroes' overall appeal, this album is a problem in a post me Too 2023. The album dates itself with a song based on MySpace relationships and the Nick Cannon reference. So if you're prepared to listen to this album with often witty lyrics on VHS and ignore more problematic parts, it could be a good time at the same time as cruel school children could not be much more than a perfect hangout record for summer 2006, which I think is part of the reason why I like this album as much as I do. I give this album a 7.8. Okay. I don't think it's an 8, but I don't think it's less of that. And I think a lot of it is because of the nostalgia that this album holds for me. Sure, sure. You know, I, I gave I gave Caroline Spine an 8. Uh, I, I gave I, that and, album a 4. Right. So yeah. I, think, I think you're exactly right. I think you and I have the exact same emotions for those two albums. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so yeah. I, 
that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. So nostalgia can dictate music preferences. You know. Yeah. True. True. So all right. What uh what album are we listening to next week? What album so are we next discussing week, next week and listening to this week? Yes. Uh we will be discussing issues last album that they probably will ever do called Beautiful Oblivion. I I won't I won't share any opinions. And I won't just, either. Yeah. But I'm we'll, just really looking forward to talking about it. We'll talk about the issues with that album yes, next week. The issues yeah. with it's gonna with be a album. punny episode, people. Buckle up. Can't wait. <laughs> yep. So all right. Uh good morning. Thank you for listening to this episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast. Have a good day. Later. <laughs>